Welcome to the Ohio State University Summer Quarter Commencement, held Sunday, August 27, 2006, at the Jerome Schottenstein Center. 1,330 graduates receive their diplomas. This quarter's commencement speaker is Robert J. Massey, President of Chemical Abstracts Service. gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the 377th commencement of The Ohio State University. I'm honored to preside at this important ceremony as the university bestows its academic degrees upon today's graduates. I am going to begin my remarks today as with my message by quoting a world-famous leader whose words may sound somewhat familiar to you, and I quote, I need not tell you the world situation is very serious. That must be apparent to all intelligent people. He continues, I think one difficulty is the problem is that one is the, I think one difficulty is that the problem is one of such enormous complexity that the very mass of facts represented to the public by the press and radio make it extremely difficult for the man in the street to reach a clear appraisement of the situation. Furthermore, the people of this country are distant from the troubled areas of the earth, and it's hard for them to comprehend the plight and consequent reactions of the long-suffering peoples and the effect of those reactions on their governments in connection with our efforts to promote peace in the world. Former Secretary of State George C. Marshall spoke those words nearly 60 years ago in a commencement address at Harvard. He could have easily been talking about the world situation today instead of his plan to rebuild Europe after World War II. I use his remarks as an example of how issues recur over time. And while we live in what might be called uncertain times, I would argue, when have people not lived in uncertain times? Many of your grandparents lived with the consequences of World War II and its aftermath, including the fear of communism and the conflict in Korea. Many of your parents came of age in the 60s and 70s, which were characterized by the struggles for civil rights, the Vietnam War, and Watergate. Which is to say, whenever we think we're living in times that are somehow unique or somehow unusual, we need to think again. As soon as we begin to understand and adjust to the world we live in, it immediately changes. Of course, no one knows this better than you and the members of your generation who were forever shaped by the events of September 11, 2001. Thus, I would argue that you need, what you need for success in today's world is what leaders have always needed, a set of core values that serves as your compass and allows you to ride the waves of change. Times have always demanded the need for strong, ethical, and courageous leaders. When I think of leadership, I tend to look at it as the sum of two parts, competence, which is your skills, know-how, and task preparation, and authenticity, 
which is your identity, your character, and your attitude. I feel especially comfortable knowing that the education you earned here at Ohio State allowed you to develop both competence and authenticity. Because of Ohio State's breadth and depth, you've had many opportunities to learn, to grow, and to become a citizen of the world. You have not gone to college in an ivory tower, but you've lived in and been part of a real-world environment that has challenged you in many different ways. And most importantly, you have worked hard to prepare yourselves for useful and meaningful lives that include the career or careers of your choosing and a personal set of goals and values to guide your future. You've come to know Ohio State teachers, researchers, who are leaders in their fields, who have their fingers on the pulse of today's most challenging scientific, social, cultural, and ethical issues, and are creating and driving the innovative solutions so badly needed to remedy these complex problems. And you have worked closely with them to experience their thinking, to apply the concepts you have learned in your coursework, and to add your own thinking about these real-world situations. Many of you have taken your duty as a citizen of the world to heart by helping to plan a political debate at the Glenn School, registering voters on the campus, traveling to Mississippi to help victims of Katrina, or working on a dinner to benefit the tsunami victims of last year. There are countless other activities that you've been part of. In taking advantage of all the possibilities and opportunities at Ohio State, You've gained marketable skills and compassion for your fellow man, and you are better prepared for your careers as professionals, good communicators and collaborators, and most importantly, you've become the critical, analytical, and independent thinkers that we as educators had hoped you would become. And you're not the only ones who've changed during your years at Ohio State. Just take a look at how the face of our campus has changed. You've been able to enjoy many of the buildings that were under construction when you first arrived. Page Hall, home of the new John Glenn School for Public Affairs. Hegarty Hall and its World Media and Culture Center. The new graduate housing complex on Neal Avenue, named after Bill Hall. The new Larkins, now RPEC. And all of the new dining and entertainment opportunities at Gateway. And I can't leave this out. Many of you graduating today were freshmen when our Buckeyes won the national championship. <laughs> yes, we do live in uncertain times, but I feel confident that with your Ohio State education and the experiences you've had here, that you are extremely well-equipped with the knowledge, the strength, the intelligence, and the empathy that you need to meet the world's challenges head-on. My most sincere congratulations to all of you. My very best wishes for a happy, successful, and healthy future. And my thanks to you for all you've contributed to this great institution while you've been here with us. Congratulations to every one of you. Thank you. At each commencement, we ask a person of distinction to make remarks to our graduating class. This quarter, we are honored to welcome a friend and colleague, Robert Massey, President and Chief Executive of the Columbus-based Chemical Abstract Service, a division of the American Chemical Society. 
Chemical Abstracts provides the world's largest and most current collection of chemical and related scientific information, including the most authoritative database of chemical substances. You may also be familiar with Chemical Abstracts as the home of the Picnic with the Pops every July. Baum has led CAS since 1992. Prior to joining CAS, he had extensive information publishing industry experience, including holding the top post at Gale Research, the leading reference information publisher serving the U.S. library system. Previously, he held senior executive positions with the Torstar Corporation, the largest newspaper and book publishing company in Canada, and was a management consultant with McKinsey & Company in New York City, where his clients included General Electric and the New York Times. He has also practiced law in Washington, D.C., where he specialized in food and drug law and represented pharmaceutical manufacturers before the Food and Drug Administration. Mr. Massey has written a number of papers on scientific research in the digital age. He speaks frequently to industry groups and has published numerous articles discussing scientific information and its value for research. In his presentations and published statements, he has served as an advocate for Ohio's continuing commitment to information technology and research-driven economic development. In 1998, Bob received the Executive of the Year Award from the Industry and Technology Council of Central Ohio. He was the 2003 recipient of the Patterson Crane Award for outstanding contributions to providing chemical information services from the Columbus and Dayton sections of the American Chemical Society. Bob holds a joint JD MBA from Columbia University, where he was a Harlan Fisk Stone Scholar, and he is an honors graduate of Yale College. He's a member of the board of the Columbus Chamber of Commerce, the Columbus Partnership, and Tech Columbus. And Ohio State is extremely grateful for his service as chairman of the board of University Medical Center Partners. Please join me in welcoming our distinguished leader and speaker as he addresses you today's graduating class, Mr. Robert Massey. Thank you, Dr. Holbrook, trustees of this great university, distinguished guests, Mr. Aveni and Mr. Persons, officers of the university, degree recipients, families and friends, thank you for inviting me to be with you today and for the honor of presenting the commencement address. This is a wonderful occasion, and we are all thrilled to share it with you, the graduating class. Commencement is a milestone in your lives and milestones mark personal and community history in important ways. Today, more than 1,900 students will be awarded degrees across a wide range of disciplines. More than half of those are graduate degrees. There is work, sacrifice, and perseverance behind those numbers. Each of you knows your own personal story. None of us can know more than a few of those stories in detail. But we can congratulate you and your families for the choices and sacrifices you've made along the way and the efforts you expended to reach this milestone. Whatever may follow, you deserve your day in the sun, at least metaphorically speaking, and all of us on this dais heartily congratulate you. From a practical standpoint, pursuing a degree at The Ohio State University was a wise move. Never in history 
has the connection between formal education and economic success been so marked? Today's global economy may appear to be dominated by oil, but in fact it's much more heavily weighted to intangible and knowledge-driven value. More than 70% of the aggregate value of the New York Stock Exchange companies derives from intangible assets, patents, know-how, goodwill, and other products of the creative human mind. The well-educated increasingly hold the economic high ground. After all, Google was founded by graduate students with fairly advanced math skills. And the future is tilting more and more to a knowledge economy. Today there is a backlog of one million patents, one million patent applications waiting to be processed at the United States Patent Office. Even if you allow for add-ons, invalid or insignificant filings, that one million applications is a tidal wave of future innovation ready to break on the world economy. And we see similar figures at the European, Japanese, Chinese, and other world patent offices. Now, given my connection with chemical abstracts, you may be expecting a talk about science, technology, and innovation. Or worse yet, you may be expecting a chemistry lecture. Or perhaps some of you are calculating in your minds how many credit hours you would have needed to graduate in the spring and hear Senator McCain's address instead of mine. <laughs> well, don't be too disappointed. I'm sure you'll have many opportunities to hear Senator McCain in the future. And as for a chemistry lecture, believe it or not, it has happened. The noted legal scholar Judith Resnick prepared for her Bryn Mawr commencement speech in the spring by reviewing a thousand published commencement speeches. That's what lawyers do. <laughs> and she reported that the topics for these commencement speeches were astonishingly varied, and they included anything from chemistry to ballooning. Actually, I thought ballooning sounded really interesting. <laughs> but what I'd like to talk about is the importance of milestones and history in general and why they matter so much even in our technology-intensive 21st century world. It's probably fair to say that we Americans are not as attuned to history as other cultures are. We like to go from where we are to build a better future. And it's a truism of American business that two of the three most powerful words in marketing are new and improved. The third word, of course, is free. In some ways, this attitude of going from where we are is one of our finest American traits. But for most of us and much of the world, history is not easily denied. There's some history and context for my visit today, because in a sense I'm here on account of something that happened 100 years ago, the founding of Chemical Abstract Service and its subsequent move to the Ohio State campus. That's our milestone, and it's intertwined with your university. Let me just briefly tell you the story. In 1907, a chemist at the National Bureau of Standards began compiling abstracts of scientific journal articles and patents to better inform American scientists. Because a century ago, one major concern of U.S. scientists 
was to be taken seriously by European scientists who dominated the, dominated the world of research. Today, history repeats itself. We are again concerned about scientific leadership, but this time because of challenges from China and India. And perhaps we should be concerned. One prediction suggests that by 2020, if present trends continue, more than 80% of all practicing scientists will be working in Asia. Well, back to my story. After two years with the founding of Chemical Abstracts underway, its editor was invited to join the Ohio State University chemistry faculty. He moved himself and this little business to Columbus. It grew, and by the 1950s, the fourth floor of the McPherson building was occupied by CAS editors. In 1956, the American Chemical Society and the university cooperated in constructing a new building now called Watts Hall just to house the CAS offices. And in 1962, we outgrew even this hospitality of the university and finally purchased the 58-acre campus we occupy today just down the street from your arena. At CAS, our Columbus roots and our relationship with OSU are very much a part of who we are, how we think, and how we operate. For 50 years, the Ohio State University provided a home to our publishing organization, and we are very grateful. That is our history, and those are some of our milestones. Let's remember, though, that we live in a world increasingly impacted by the milestones and histories of other people. For instance, are we amazed at the growth and the muscular economic development of China, which is no longer only a source of cheap labor, but truly an emerging economic superpower? How could, how could we be surprised if we know history? It has been estimated until, that until the last few hundred years, China and India together typically accounted for roughly 50% of the world's economic output, now called gross domestic product. Today, they account for only around 6%. Will they return to the historical average and continue to grow in economic importance? And if they do, what will it mean for our economy and our future? After all, China was for centuries the foremost scientific civilization on Earth. Many scholars now believe that Chinese fleets circumnavigated the globe in the early 15th century. A member of the Chinese Academy of Sciences told an admiring journalist from New York recently that things were going better in China now, given, he said, given that we've had a difficult last 500 years. Talk about long-term perspectives. History can strongly influence the thinking of people around the world with whom we have to do business and conduct diplomacy. I have a short personal perspective for you in this regard. I'd like to relate it. My first full-time job after graduate school was in Iran, in its capital Tehran, in the final years of the regime of its king, the Shah of Iran. That was 32 years ago in 1974. In the 1970s, we in the West saw the Shah as an unshakable monarch and Iran as a major, stable, allied regional power. My most striking memory of living in Tehran was of seeing assemblies of Iranian men walking down the center of Tehran streets, shirtless, scourging themselves bloody. This despite Iran's secular and modern image. 
What I was seeing in those days was one of the early signs of what is now being called the Shia revival, which is manifesting itself across the Middle East. As I said, this Iran that I experienced 30 plus years ago is now very much in the news, in fact, almost nightly. The topic now is Iran's nuclear ambitions and the West's attempt to rein them in. It seems that hardly a day can go by without a headline or TV news coverage of Iran's nuclear power initiative and plans. A week or so ago, Iran's president, who by the way has a PhD, was interviewed by Mike Wallace of 60 Minutes. When the topic of nuclear proliferation was raised, the president of Iran quickly reminded Mike Wallace that the West was willing to sell nuclear technology to Iran 30 years ago, and he said, if it was okay then, why isn't it okay now? At that moment, a real chill went up my spine. I knew something about this history, because 30 years ago, I worked for a law firm that represented the Shah's Atomic Energy Organization, and I was assigned to one of the main contract negotiations for nuclear power stations. Back then, when the Shah was seen as a stable ally, the West was selling nuclear technology to Iran. Had the Iranian revolution been delayed just a few years, those projects might have been completed and the whole issue of Iran having nuclear capabilities today would be moot. I have to tell you that to the Iranians, being offered nuclear power technology by the Western powers, and by that I mean French and German companies, and signing those agreements 30 years ago was a milestone. It's part of their history, and they know it well, but we seem to have forgotten it. Now, this is not a speech about foreign policy, and I'm not advocating any position one way or the other. I simply need, think we need to be aware of relevant history. If we can forget or ignore the history that is so recent that it's part of one adult's lifetime, how can we deal with the meaning of the great waves of history that are reaching back hundreds of years? Thinking of those marchers that I saw in Tehran, we might remember that the Shiite sect of Islam is inspired by the death of one imam in 680. And thinking of Chinese scientists, we might reflect that some of them look for inspiration and knowledge to ancient herbal cures that Western pharmaceutical companies are now rushing to patent. History is with us in both science and world affairs. I began this address by congratulating you all on your studies and technical and, and academic accomplishments. They are a tremendous foundation for life, as Dr. Holbrook has told you. You have prepared yourselves at a great university to thrive in a knowledge economy where technology and innovation are racing ahead and education is a key to future success. I began this address by noting that today is a wonderful milestone in your lives for you and your families and your friends and that milestones flow together to form personal and community histories. I'd like to close by reminding us and reminding us all that we, this great university and this community, are sailing on vast seas comprising the histories and milestones 
of many people and many nations, and that we need to study those histories and learn those seas if we are going to reach our hoped-for destinations. In reaching today, you have shown yourselves willing to work, make sacrifices, and persevere. We congratulate you on your achievements and thank you in advance for bringing those same qualities to the challenges that lie ahead. Graduates, congratulations again, and thank you very much. Bob, I thank you very much for very thoughtful and very important words. And I also thank you for the great partnership between Chemical Abstract Society and The Ohio State University. And in recognition of your contribution to us today, I present you with the commencement medallion, and thank you so very, very much. We have a remarkable group of students graduating today, and at each commencement we recognize the undergraduate students with the highest grade point average. I'm pleased to announce that in today's graduating class, we have one student who completed her bachelor's degree with a perfect 4.0 grade point average. Laura Pondia of Tasnad, Romania, Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and International Studies. Will you please stand so we can congratulate you? Congratulations on your achievements. Within this class are many other students who have maintained outstanding academic records while working toward their bachelor's degree. They will receive diplomas designated as summa cum laude, magna cum laude, cum laude, with distinction and with honors. Summa cum laude designates the attainment of a 3.9 grade point average or higher. Will students graduating summa cum laude please stand? Magna cum laude designates those who attained a 3.7 grade point average or higher, and those graduating magna cum laude, please rise. <laughs> cum laude designates students who earned a 3.5 grade point average or higher, and those graduating cum laude, please rise. With distinction and with honors, recognize rigorous work completed in special honors programs in the colleges. Would students graduating with distinction and with honors please rise as well? And would all of our honors graduates now please rise? Thank you. All of these outstanding undergraduate students graduating with a high curricular achievement are wearing the honors emblem, a scarlet and gray tasseled braid over their gown. Their honors are listed beneath the program and in their names and in the commencement program. Now once again, please let's 
recognize and congratulate every one of these distinguished students. Thank you. I would also like to mention that several members of today's graduating class were cadets and midshipmen in the Reserve Officer Training Corps while students at Ohio State. They are being commissioned as officers in our armed forces at special ceremonies this weekend. Their names are listed in the commencement program. Would the newly commissioned officers please stand so that we may recognize you as well. Thank you.